so yesterday we reposted a, a sermon I did um, about a year and a half ago in late 2018. And, and the, the whole idea of the sermon was to, to sort of track the American church and its relationship with white supremacy. When I say relationship with, I mean all the ways that the American church has actually been the leading voice in white supremacy. Not every American church, obviously, but like going all the way back to the Puritans in 1706 and a guy named Cotton Mather, like you can, you can track American white supremacy with the theology that was being taught in white American churches for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so um, the reason I posted that is, well, I, I, um, I intended to post it a little while back right after we posted, reposted the Latasha Morrison sermon. But obviously this week we saw another video of a man being killed by a police officer, George Floyd. And um, it's horrific. If, if you didn't watch the video, I don't blame you. It's, it's a terrible thing to see. And, um, and it's one of those things that as a pastor, and I've articulated this, like in, in the past like six or so years that we've been doing this, every once in a while an event happens and people who speak on, on, on Sundays in churches have to come up with some sort of way to, to verbalize the emotion and, and kind of the, the tone of that. And it just feels like I've, we've had to do that so many times in the last few uh, weeks and months, just the lamenting as a society. And as, as, as a pastor, like I'm, I'm coming to the point now where I don't know I don't have anything new to say that I didn't have to say already when we had to do this for Ahmaud Arbery. And um, to say nothing of Breonna Taylor, who, who also was, was murdered. Um, this, is a, this is a particularly painful time. It's a particularly frustrating time uh, for, for our friends and neighbors who are uh, people of color who right now are just so exhausted and so filled with anger and sorrow and, um, and who are lamenting. Uh, I, I hope we are joining in the cries of our, um, our siblings of color. And I hope that we are reminding ourselves and being reminded that we have a little bit of power here. We have a little bit of agency and our, our job here is to, is to use that in a way that brings some sort of grace and peace and relief to the people who have been suffering the most under the weight of a system that seems often bent on hurting and destroying people. So um, I, don't, I don't really, I'm not gonna preach a whole new sermon about it. Um, but I, I would just end up having to rehash everything I said, I think like two or three weeks ago when we talked about Ahmaud Arbery and anger. I just, once again, I grieve this and it makes me angry, it makes me sad as the parent of, um, of a black young man, it makes me afraid. And, and I mean, I say, as I say that, I shouldn't, I shouldn't need to have a black family member for this to bother me. As a human being, this should already bother me. And um, so, so for those of us who have been sort of watching it and, and following along and, and grieving, uh, I, I don't really know what to say. I don't know that I have any wisdom other than to, to simply join in the lament and in the cry. So, um, so for those of you out there who have been losing sleep, who have been wrestling through this, who have been kind of trying to find a way to be of some sort of use 
I'm, I'm with you. And to our brothers and sisters who are people of color, who have been fighting this fight for way, way too long, who are afraid, who are sad, who are angry, uh, we join you in your sadness and in your anger. And um, we grieve with you and we rage with you. So um, I realize that's a heavy thing to, to get into at 10.38 in the morning on a Sunday, but uh, this, is, this is when we gather. And so this is, this is when we talk about these kinds of things. And uh, I, I don't really know what else to say. If you want to go back and listen to that sermon, you can. It's up on the podcast feed. Probably more usefully, if you haven't already, go back and listen to the Latasha Morrison sermon. Um, there's lots of really good resources. Austin Channing Brown has um, a, a video series on her website called The Next Question, and they really kind of dig into um, all of the, the granular elements of this struggle. So really probably the best thing, if, if you just want information and to hear voices speaking wisdom into this, I would absolutely recommend going to Austin Channing Brown's uh, site and, and watching every video she, she has posted. It's, it's necessary. It's, at this point, it's, it feels like required reading for those of us uh, living in America today. So uh, why don't I pray for us? And uh, we'll get going. No. God, we thank you for another day and another time for us to, to be gathered in, even in a digital space, to know that we are not alone, to, to know that we are with one another in all sorts of ways. And for those right now who are grieving, who are in pain, who are afraid, who are raging at another death that was needless and cruel, for those of us who don't even know how to begin processing it, for those who are so exhausted, who are, our voices are hoarse, from crying out for so long. May we see structural change. May we see justice. May we, may we find that people are rehumanized, who have been dehumanized in our culture and in our world for far, far too long. And for those of us who entered into this conversation today with way too much to carry, for those of us who had a hard week, for those of us who have lost something this week, for those of us who are just, just drained and wrung out, may we find that at the end of this conversation, we have more grace and peace than we had when we first began. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. So we started this series, you know, back when we started doing online services. This was... Like now we're, we're in week nine of this series and we've, we had to take a couple of breaks. So this is like a week 11 or 12. I've honestly lost count. Um, I didn't, I don't know what I expected. I did not expect to get to the end of this series before everything kind of leveled off and returned to normal. That's, that, that, that just tells you how little we knew going into this uh, versus what we know now. And it still feels like we don't know a whole lot. But uh, so we, we're, we're in the ninth part of this series on Philippians, and next week is going to be the 10th week, and that'll be the last one. So we'll do, I'm not, it won't be the last service. We will continue to do service, doing services. I'm just wrapping up Philippians. I'm, I'm running out of things to talk about as, regard, as it pertains to the book of Philippians. So we'll do today, and we'll do next week in Philippians, and probably the week after that, um, un, unless something else comes up or something else that feels like it's more urgent to talk about, we, we'll probably just resume Genesis like we were doing before all of this began, and we'll just do it in this format. That's, that is currently my plan. I, I have learned in the past couple of months that making plans is, at 
at best, uh, looking for a light switch with your eyes closed. So, um, so that, that's, that is currently the basic idea of what we'll do. So we'll do Philippians today. We'll, do, uh, we'll close out Philippians next week, and then we'll probably get back, in, back into Genesis after that. Now, the reason we started going through Philippians, in case you don't remember, is because the book of Philippians is a letter that's being sent by a guy named Paul to a group of people in a city called Philippi, which exists in the Roman Empire. So uh, Paul is writing from a Roman prison cell, probably in the city of Ephesus, possibly in the city of Rome, but he's in prison and he's being held by the empire, by specifically un under the rule of the Roman emperor Nero. So Paul is, and the reason he's there, by the way, is because he's been proclaimed an enemy of the empire, as an enemy of, of Caesar, which is not a great way to have a long life if you're living in the Roman empire. So Paul has been proclaimed to be an enemy of Caesar, so he's in prison, but he's also writing to this group of people who live in a very deeply loyal, patriotic um, city in, in the, within the Roman Empire, Philippi. So he's writing to a group of people who also have sort of this isolated, fearful kind of way of, of existing in the world. So you've got Paul, who's writing from prison, to a group of people who are also kind of facing their own danger and fear and isolation. So this being the year 2020 and all, it felt particularly relevant to, to explore a, a letter that's being sent from somebody in that situation to a group of people in a similar situation. Because a lot of this letter is, I wish we could be together in person. I wish I could see you face to face and tell you these things. So that felt really, really relevant as we entered into this and it continues to feel relevant as we um, move towards the end of this particular series. So we've been walking through this whole series, the, the, this letter in Philippians, and we've been looking at all sorts of things that Paul feels like he has to say. Because if you're writing from prison to a group of people who are afraid, you have to choose your words. You can't just say everything you want to say, but you have to say the things that you most want to say. So Paul has some things that he really, really needs to convey to the people in Philippi. And he's talked about um, making making sure, like, don't, don't forget that you're with each other, that, that you are you are connected in all sorts of ways that you don't realize you're connected. He talks about how like you're still alive and you're still a part of something that matters. He talks, um, th there are so many, th he talks about what it means to be, to be humble and to lower ourselves for the benefit of other people. He goes through all sorts of these ideas that he's trying to convey to this group of people. And then in chapter four, as he kind of begins wrapping up the letter, he begins talking about joy and contentment. And I get to chapter four and I realize like, it's not just one or two sentences. Paul has paragraphs worth of things to say about joy and contentment, which means if I'm doing a series on the book of Philippians and I'm going to not just like stop it too early, I'm gonna have to talk about joy and contentment. And when I saw that this week, um, because, because it's been hard to stay more than a week ahead. So when I opened this up on Monday and I began sort of looking at, here's the text that comes next. Um, my first thought in regards to, we're going to have to talk about joy and contentment. My first thought was, um, no, thank you. I, I don't really want to talk about joy and contentment. I don't in this moment want to enter into this space and start talking about like, oh, but everything's fine. Or like, just be happier. Won't that solve all of our problems? Uh, because I don't know about you, joy is not my default setting lately. Um, not, I mean, in general, during the, the pandemic era that we've been living in, joy has been kind of in short supply, I think, for most of us. But like this particular week 
has been brutal. Like, how am I gonna, how am I gonna, on March the 31st, 2020, how am I gonna like just log on and say like, okay, let's talk about joy, because that feels useful. Because, I mean, we, we officially this week crossed the threshold of 100,000 people who have died of this virus, which means it's killed more than twice as many people, twice as many Americans as the Vietnam War. So that happened this week, but also you have all of this continued suffering of, of people of color in our midst. We have, again, yet another video of someone being killed um, by law enforcement, a person of color being, uh, being murdered. And we have that on top of the other things that we're still sort of raw about that were similar to that. So we have the death toll, we have the, all the, the pain that's being felt. Um, and like just all the all the turmoil that kind of goes along with it. Um, also, like the unemployment rate right now is higher than it's ever been in my lifetime. So this particular week didn't feel like seems like a good week to talk about joy. I could have talked about um, fear. I could have talked about dread. I could have talked about anger, which I did just a couple of weeks ago. I, t I could talk about sadness. And I would have had plenty to say. I, I, I would have probably had to edit down all the things that I wanted to say. But Paul wants to talk about joy. And I'm like, I mean, come on, Paul. Like, is this really, like joy, is, is, this, is this really the subject matter that we needed to get into? And so here, here's why I'm telling you this. Because we are gonna talk about it. We're gonna get into what Paul has to say because I, I can't not go in order. I can't just skip over a big chunk of Philippians. It'll bother me forever. I have enough of just sort of that, that orderly chronological like way of thinking that if I just skip an entire section of this book that we've been doing a series on for nine weeks, uh, that will bother me forever. So uh, there was no way I was gonna skip it. But I didn't, I didn't wanna come here and pretend to, to just have sort of like this, this masterclass grasp of what it means to feel joy right now. I didn't want to be accused of not smoking what I'm selling, basically. Um, if you're watching with your kids, sorry, I just used that um, metaphor. So, sorry about that. So I wanted to let you know that my struggle with this material is real. And, and I'm, I, 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 I lost my train of thought for a second, but I'm not, I'm not standing here saying like, okay, here are the things that I've figured out. Here's how I have achieved joy in the midst of all this struggle and pain and fear and frustration. I haven't. This is, this is not for you, this is for me. The, the, this is something that I have needed to really internalize and absorb. And I'm not gonna lie, it's really, really difficult right now. I think, I mean, I, if you've spent any time at all listening to me preach or spending any time around me at all, you know that I have a lifelong struggle with anxiety. And anxiety is not like, the most useful ingredient when you're looking for joy. So, um, so that, that's, that, that's where I'm sort of coming from with this. So I look at this and I think like, man, Paul, you could not be, like th this subject matter could not be less relevant. But then I remember Paul's writing from jail and he's writing to a group of people who are very afraid. Paul's probably gonna die in jail. He, he's already articulated that he knows that. And he's sort of already kind of wrestling with all of this. So when he's writing this, He's not saying that things are easy. And he's not saying, you know, just take that frown and turn it upside down. Like he's not, he's not getting at this, this kind of fake notion of just pretend like everything is okay. That's, I, Paul, Paul's not summoning that sort of idea. And I think at face value, it's easy to assume that that's what he's doing, but he's definitely not doing that at all. He's, 
um, probably the people he's writing to, when he gets to the joy section, it's very possible that the people he's writing to are like, whoa, hold on. It's a little bit early to start talking about joy right now at this moment. And I think Paul knows. I think, he, I think there, there's a good reason why he's ending the book this way, because he knows that this is possibly one of the greatest struggles, not just for himself, but for the people he's writing to. And so we don't necessarily always engage the conversation from a place where we have like achieved some sort of mastery. Maybe what Paul's trying to do is like saying like, look, I realize joy and contentment are in very short supply. So maybe we should talk about that so that our souls don't sort of like wither and die inside of us. So in Philippians chapter four, there is a passage. It's funny, I actually, um, I didn't spend as much time on it, but the la literally the last service we had at our building uh, we kind of got into to this passage a little bit. Not Again, not quite as in-depth, but it, it's funny that this is another time that this just has come up. So in Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4, Paul writes this. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Okay. Um, again, like, rejoice in the Lord always. My, my initial, like, gut-level response to that is, like, I don't think I'm going to, no. That's, that, seems, that seems fake. It seems... Uh, not super helpful in, in light of all of the suffering that we see. In fact, I knew, uh, I knew a girl when I was in high school, um, growing up in a high school youth group, and there was a girl who was part of our youth group who just loved throwing this verse in people's faces. Anytime somebody was having a rough time, anytime somebody um, was struggling in any sort of way, her one go-to response was, well, you know, it says... Rejoice on the Lord always. And I'm not going to lie, did not care for her very much. So if she's, it's been 20 years. So like if, if that person is out there, I'm sure you grew up to be a perfectly nice, pleasant person. So sorry, I just said that about you, but um, don't do that. If you're still doing that to people, stop it. So anyway, because, because if all you're handed is this one verse, and you're not invited into the rest of the struggle that Paul has already articulated, then it feels really hollow and it feels really thin to just say, well, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. If he had opened with that, I think that would have felt like kind of a, <laughs> kind of a swing and a miss. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, if, if Paul had just opened with this and said like, look, before I get it, go any further, I want you to be happy and continue to be happy. But he doesn't do that. Like he's, He has already kind of earned the credibility of his audience by talking about all the, all the struggles leading up to now. So he, he has not gotten here out of nowhere. He's contextually sort of arrived at this journey from a long way off. So to, to just sort of throw this in somebody's face is to miss the journey that it takes to get to this place. Also, and this is really important, this word rejoice. We, we hear this word and we think it means like, like this lighthearted, celebratory kind of posture. Like just be, be really happy all the time. Sing at the top of your lungs. Do, do whatever it is that seems really, really happy. That is not the word Paul is using here. The word, how we think of rejoice is not how Paul's audience would have necessarily thought of rejoice. Uh, the, re the word rejoice here, the root word for this in Greek is the word charis. It, says, it, it literally means gift. It's also where we get the word grace. So charis isn't just be super happy no matter what. The word charis, again, it's rooted in the word gift. It is, it is not just celebrate. It is remember that all of life in and of itself is a gift. So to rejoice is not to pretend to be happy. To rejoice is to even in your darkest of moments, 
to remember that the very fact of your life, that that in and of itself is a gift. That your, your continued existence in this world is a good thing. And maybe if that's just like the baseline where we start, that's okay. So again, we have a very disjointed idea. When we just say the word rejoice with no context, it doesn't mean a whole lot to us. It sounds, again, it sounds hollow. But when Paul says it, he, what he's saying is like, even in your darkest moments, let's, let's try and remember, do your best to remember that the, the fact of air coming in and out of your lungs, that in and of itself is a gift. So, and again, this feels difficult right now because so many of us are still locked down or, or at least do, still doing some amount of social distancing and, and limiting our experiences outside of our homes. And it's, it's hard to think of life as a gift when so much of life feels repetitive or in a holding pattern or when you spend every day being worried about the same thing that you've been worried about for two and a half months. So it's hard, it's hard to find the gift in life when every day feels the same because a gift, sort of how we sort of mentally imagine a gift to be, tends to sort of, like it has, has the notion of novelty to it. Like, it, like some, something different has to have occurred for it to have felt like a gift. Like every single day that looks like every other day doesn't in and of itself just naturally feel like a gift. So, um, so it's hard to think of life as a gift when so much of it feels like, like we're on sort of some sort of repetitive cycle. In fact, I, I heard one psychologist on a podcast because I spend a lot of time on podcasts these days. Um, but I, I heard one psychologist on a podcast speculate that it's very possible that once this season is over and we begin to look back and remember and try and remember what it was like to be in this time, they were actually probably not gonna have a whole lot of concrete memories. That our memories, for a lot of us at least, our memories of this time are gonna be a little bit blurry and a little bit fuzzy and hard to sort of contextualize like when and where certain things happened. And, and the reason for that is because memory thrives on novelty. And when, when we are kind of in this state of, of being, novelty is in very short supply. So, so it's possible that our, even our memories are gonna be affected by how little new experiences we're having right now. Um, so it's hard to think of life as a gift when when there are very few new experiences and when so many things that we were excited about are being canceled. And so the things that would have given us the sense that, that life is a gift, those things are off the table, at least in, in a lot of ways for some of us. And, and so when Paul says, don't forget that life is a gift, we, we kind of, again, we kind of like bristle at that because we think like, I, I would have bought into that two months ago, but now, now that we're still sort of spinning, just sort of spinning our wheels, like it's harder to feel that way. But again, Paul's in prison. It doesn't get more like same than that. Surely Paul gets this. Surely Paul understands that when you are stuck in a space and stuck, like when you feel like time is sort of standing still for you, that it's difficult to sort of see life as a gift. Surely he understands this. So what's he saying? So here, here's what I would argue Paul is saying here. I think Paul is saying that joy, the idea of joy is not fake happiness. It is not painting a smile on your face no matter what's going on just beneath the surface. That's not what real joy is. That is pretend placid happiness. That is not even happiness. It's just, it, it is a, it's show business. It's the presentation of happiness. That's, that's not what joy is. Paul is not saying pretend to be happy. Paul is saying don't sleep on your life. This is, this is the realization that in spite of whatever I am currently going through, there are still things to be grateful for. There are still gifts in my life. And again, I don't say this lightly. 
I'm not, I'm not in any way trying to lecture anybody else on how you should be doing this better. This is for me. This is something I very deeply have needed over the past couple of weeks. This is a thing I am currently trying to access within myself. Um, in fact, some, something I am trying my best to do is schedule an hour or so, just a little bit of time, 30 minutes to an hour a, a day, where I very intentionally try and be grateful for as much as I can be grateful for. And, and, and specifically, not pay attention to certain things, not enter into certain types of conflict, not get into like all of the worst case scenarios that my brain naturally wants me to go to. I have to at least find small pockets of time when I can listen to music that I like or read a book that has nothing to do with work or um, like learning or, or anything like that. Just something, something that is light, something that is fun, something that just sort of gives my brain a, a little break. Something I've been doing, I've been watching a lot of um, live concert films of bands that I like. Um, like yesterday I watched a three and a half hour long documentary about Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And to some of you, you're like, that sounds like punishment. No, to me, that's, um, that's reminding myself how much I love going to hear live music and getting to sort of go into that space mentally just for a little while. So, um, and, and I mean, it, it, there's a fine line between just escapism and realizing that every, like, the, the life is a gift, but we're, that's sort of, that's kind of what we're trying to figure out right now, right? Like, we're trying to figure out what does it look like to, to find joy and gratitude in these moments, even in these moments. And again, I, I'm not telling you, like, look what I figured out. I'm saying, like, I'm, I'm struggling with this. This is something that I have always struggled with before there was a pandemic. And so now I'm really trying to figure this out for myself. Um, so, because I don't want to be anxious all the time. I don't want to be afraid and frustrated and sad all the time. And so I have to find these little moments where I can, at the very least, try and reach for joy, even if it's just for a few minutes. So, I mean, may maybe for you, you're like, yeah, I, I can't just like turn a switch in my head and all of a sudden, like rejoice in the Lord always or remember that life is a gift and just have it, that be my default posture. That's okay. Maybe, maybe try to schedule 30 minutes sometime today and say, for this 30 minutes, I will spend my time acting as if I believe that life is a gift. And then after the 30 minutes is up, um, go back to whatever it is that you were doing. But at, at the very least, is there some way that we can maybe try and access this just for a little, just to create a habit of trying to reach for this? Um, in fact, I, I know that people who have faced death already have an understanding of this. I was having a conversation with a, with a guy I know um, who's a, another Bruce Springsteen podcaster. His name is Jesse Jackson. And um, not, not the famous Jesse Jackson. He's a different guy named Jesse Jackson. Um, he's um, he's a, a dear friend. Uh, I love him to pieces. And uh, about a year and a half ago, he, um, he was fighting cancer. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying anything he hasn't already shared in public on his podcast. So I, I, I would not talk about this kind of thing with his name if, if he had already not talked about this publicly. But he and I were having a conversation a couple of weeks ago. I think it was a couple of weeks ago. It could have been a year ago. It was after the pandemic started. So it was like a month or so ago. I don't know. He and I were having a conversation about kind of life in these times. And I asked him, I said, so how is this different than when you were getting chemo? And when you were sort of trying to kind of reckon with all of the anxiety that comes along with having a potentially terminal illness. And he said, yeah, he said, it's just, um, part of it is just, I have to, in my mind, I have to remind myself that I am alive and that my life is a gift. And I 
don't have power over this disease, but I do have some amount of power over how I see the world and over how I interact with and respond to the world around me. So, so people, um, people who have sort of had to face this already kind of have this understanding of, yeah, like the, there, there's a certain amount of gratitude that comes along with um, looking into the face of like the darkest stuff because then we realize that the good moments are really a gift. Um, in fact, the comedian Pete Holmes, I, I've heard him say this multiple times. He said the reason um, the reason chocolate cake tastes so good is because you know that you're going to die one day, and I think that's that's an interesting sort of point to make because it's this, this realization of like yeah the good things in your life one of the things that gives them that that richness and that goodness is the recognition that it is finite, and so one of the things to help us sort of become aware that all of life is a gift is this reminder of every experience that we have could be the last version of that experience. Even, even when we're on sort of this weird treadmill that we're on, like there are certain things that are, um, that are, that are finite, that are limited. And, and what I'm trying my best to do, and again, not doing it great, but what I'm trying my best to do is try and locate those things in my life and to say that, okay, a lot of this is terrible, but this one thing here, this is kind of, um, maybe, maybe as I look back on this time, this is a thing that I maybe will remember with some fondness. And so I need to maybe, um, be aware of it right now while it's in front of me. So um, anyway, so that's just verse four. So Paul keeps going. I, it's hard when I'm here by myself because talking to myself, I it, it's easy to sort of lose track of time and I don't want to take up your, your entire day. So we'll keep going. So in verse uh, five, so right after Paul says like rejoice in the Lord always, in verse five he says, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. So this word gentleness, just real quickly, this word gentleness is when you show kindness, when everybody expects you to retaliate with hostility or force, gentleness in, in the Greek idea of gentleness is non-reactive behavior. So this group of people are living in a violent time in the midst of the Roman Empire. And this is, this is a way of Paul saying, people are going to expect you to, um, to be as petty and as hurtful to them as you are, as they have been to you. And what Paul is saying here is, but maybe, maybe there is something more life-giving than that. And that is not to say that, that is not to say like just roll over and say nothing. And that is not to say like just take whatever abuse is handed to you. He's saying, don't become the evil that's been done to you. You're, you, don't, you don't have to become the darkness that ha has confronted you. So he kind of he kind of gets at that, and th this is sort of the subversive nature of the Jesus movement in general, because this is a world that Paul is writing in. It's a world that thrives on violence and force. And Paul says your circumstances are going to make it really really easy to vilify other people and to react to violence with more um, with, with more violence and more pain and destruction. But you need instead to remember you don't have to become the evil that's been done to you. So. Um, and again, that's not to say like be silent, and that's not to say don't um, don't engage with frustration. What, what what he's saying is like you you don't have to become as bad as the people who have harmed you. So um, then in uh, Philippians verse six or uh, chapter four verse six, he says, um, "Do not be anxious about anything." To which I say, "Oh." Why didn't you say something before? Don't be anxious about anything. Got it. Um, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, 
or shalom, um, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So he says, don't be anxious about anything. This word anxious, it comes from the Greek word um, merimnao, and it's from the word meris, which means parts. So here's what he's talking about. Let's say you're lying awake at night, and there, there's all sorts of studies now who, that, are, that are saying that people, even though people have like less to do, people are still sleeping a lot less just from anxiety and, st and stress and just all the things that we carry with us. And, and so like, let's say you're laying in bed at night and you're, tr and you're trying to get to sleep because you know you need sleep. But all these things start running into your head. Emails that you didn't respond to like you should have. Or um, some, maybe somebody's mad at you and you're worried about that. Or like you have all of these like scenarios, like all the worst case scenarios are like playing themselves out over and over and over in your head. And so you're sort of like laying there and you're kind of living in this, this mental space. And what's going on there is like you have all these parts of yourself that have kind of spilled out and are, are, are kind of just like rattling around and you don't really know what to do with them. And so Paul here, when he says, um, when, he, when he talks about um, being anxious and he talks about all like, don't, what, what he's saying here is like, don't, don't let yourself like get splintered off into parts to where all these, uh, these things are just kind of floating around and you don't know what to do with them. He's talking about the inner life of the mind. He's not just talking about like, I'm stressed out about this one thing. He's talking about like, this is what it looks like when you start feeling like you're unraveling. Um, and so, so he isn't talking about small details. He's talking about like our mental state of being. He's talking about all the disruptive things that go on in our mind. And he juxtaposes these two ideas of, of peace and anxiety. He says, don't be anxious because uh, instead there is a peace that he says transcends understanding. So there is, there is a way to sort of be kind of fractured and internally like disjointed in all sorts of ways. And then he says, yeah, but there's also sort of like this, this movement towards peace that, that is meant to sort of remind you, again, that all of life is a gift. And there is, there, there is something larger that you're a part of. And that even, even in your most fearful moments, you're still alive. And there are still good things to be noticed in the world. So then in, in verse 8, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever, and this is something we talked about a few weeks ago um, at our in-person service, at our very last in-person service. Verse 8, he says, Finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lo lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of, here it is again, peace will be with you. So he says, whatever, and again, we talked about this not that long ago, but it's, it would be easy to take this and like make it into a list about like whatever is true, whatever is lovely. But it's, it's really the word whatever that makes this so powerful because he's saying like, I don't have a specific thing for you to do. What I'm saying is whatever it is that puts more peace into the world, whatever it is that puts more goodness or joy or love into the world, those are the things that we're supposed to be doing. So whatever, and, um, and again, I've heard a lot of podcasts and read a lot of articles about this particular time that we're living in exploring what it means to find joy. And one of the common factors that keeps coming up is do something for the benefit of somebody else. Um, because, because we do sort of, 
our worlds get very small in lots of ways, not just the least, not the least of which because like most of us are in our houses for most of the time, but our worlds have gotten very small. And one of the things that psychologists and anybody who does research on this will, will show you or will say is one of the ways to sort of access some amount of joy is to try and do something for someone else's benefit. Um, in fact, the great theologian um, Bob Dylan once uh, said this, and I, it's an audio recording that I heard him say it in, and so it's going to be really hard for me not to read this just in Bob Dylan voice. I'm going to try really hard not to do that because that's weird. Um, but anyway, so this is, this is what Bob Dylan said. And this isn't about um, the pandemic. This is something he said years ago in regards to how people respond to the holiday season. And so he says, the holiday season is a time for joy. However, we'd be remiss if we didn't take a moment to talk about the holiday blues. It can be a time of loneliness and sadness. And let me tell you, and this is... So wait, let me tell you. So it says, let me tell you, if you've got the holiday blues, if you have any kind of blues, I feel for you. I know life is hard and you don't need anyone to tell you how to feel, how to feel better. You don't need Dr. Phil. You don't need Tony Robbins. You don't need any of those people on television, any of, the, any of those people in magazines. You especially don't need me. I'm going to tell you the magic formula. What you got to do is go out and help someone more unfortunate than you. No matter how bad you have it, somebody's got it worse. Instead of adding to the sadness in this world, why not lend a hand and help somebody else out? This is, and like psychologists look at this and they say like, yeah, Bob Dylan gets it. Because one of the ways to sort of access joy in ourselves is to do something that helps other people. This is why uh, one of the things that I think is really useful for us to do is to provide resources to like the North Texas Food Bank or the Austrian Street Center or groups of people who are providing medical supplies to the people who need them the most. It's not just because they need those things and it's not just because it's a good thing to do. It's also because like we're in short supply of joy and a lot of times doing something that you know will help somebody else is a good way to like wake up this potential for joy inside of yourself. So, um, so that's, so when Paul says, whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is true, what he's getting at is like, there are ways, even in your darkest moments, there are ways to lend a hand. There are ways to help other people. There are ways to make the world a better place. And in doing that, maybe that will, in and of itself, reduce your level of despair and anxiety, and it will raise your level of grace and peace and joy. So, and then in verse 10 of Philippians 4, In verse 10, it says, I rejoiced, um, yeah, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at the last, that at last you renewed your concern for me. And what he's talking about, we talked about this weeks ago, that um, one of the ways that Paul is staying alive right now is he's receiving gifts and care packages from other people who are um, basically like sending resources to help keep him alive. And the Philippians is one of those group of people who did that. So he says, when he says you renewed your concern for me, what he's saying is, um, I got the stuff that you sent. So he's saying, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So again, from a prison cell, Paul says, I've learned the secret 
to being content. And he says in any situation, which tells you that joy and contentment, in Paul's mind, have very little to do with circumstances, which is a really interesting thing to say, not just then, but now. So Paul goes on this very long mental journey with this whole idea of rejoice in the Lord always. Remember, remember that life is a gift and be known for not becoming the evil that's being done to you. And then um, sort of moving towards this idea of uh, just this, this idea of like you don't have to just be splintered in parts. You, you can find some sort of joy and wholeness and healing internally. And sometimes what that looks like is whatever is good, whatever, whatever makes the world a better place, put that into the world. And then he lands on, I've learned the secret of being content. So what is he saying? He's saying, yeah, we, we, have, we, may, we may have very little power over a lot of things. And I don't know about you, over the last couple of months, I have felt more powerless than I ever have in my whole life. And so what, what Paul here is saying is like, yeah, yeah, maybe we never had as much power as we thought we did. But here's the thing we can still find ways to access joy and contentment. It's not about our circumstances. Our circumstances can be pretty terrible, but we can still find ways to engage the parts of ourselves that, that knows that life is a gift. So a couple possible ideas, if this is something you're like wrestling with as I am. One, um, set aside a particular, like a specific period of time every day to dwell on things that you enjoy or are grateful for. Set a timer if you need to. Also, spending time in meditation is supposed to really help with this. It's supposed to like ground you and remind yourself that you are present, that you are not in a hospital room right now, that you are not, um, that the, the, there are things that you're afraid of that haven't necessarily happened yet. That's what anxiety is. It's sort of like the mental exercise of pretending like all the worst things have already happened. Um, so one, one of the things that's helpful is to maybe ground ourselves. And one thing is to like spend some time, like set a timer and spend some time naming and articulating and recognizing the things that we we actually are or at least should be grateful for right here in this space so that's one like plan time in your day to be grateful and, and present and grounded and fully aware uh the next thing and we didn't really talk much about this but i think this has sort of been kind of implied in the whole thing which is stay connected with other people however you can what's paul doing he's writing to a group of people and the people he's writing to are the people he misses the most yeah what does it mean for you to stay connected to the people you miss the most? What does it mean for you to check? And this is something we've been talking about since we started, but like checking in with people. And maybe you are exhausted of Zoom calls. I am. But uh, what, would, what, would, what would it look like for you to check in on somebody in whatever way you're not exhausted of doing that? Um, how, how would it affect your ability to experience joy to just remember that you're not alone and to have a conversation with someone who... Um, who can remind you of that. So setting aside, setting aside time to experience some amount of gratitude or joy or um, groundedness, and then setting aside some time to engage with other people that you miss and that give you life in some sort of way. And then the third thing, going back to the, the whatever part, the Bob Dylan part, which is try to be others oriented. Try, try and do something every day that isn't just for the benefit of you or whoever lives inside your house, Try and do something every single day that points your energy outward in some sort of way. Uh, maybe there's someone you can grocery shop for. Maybe there's someone you can check in on. Maybe, um, maybe again, maybe there's an organization that could use your support. Uh, wh whatever that looks like. How, what would it look like for you to offer some amount of assistance or support 
to, to somebody else? And would that actually make it more possible for you to experience joy and contentment? This is not easy stuff. I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about this because we figured the whole thing out. I, I think we need to talk about this because we really, really haven't. And even in the best of times, it's really hard sometimes to remind ourselves to feel gratitude and joy for what's right in front of us. And in, in these times, in the year 2020, it's, it's so much harder, especially in light of all the things that are swirling around us. But this is the invitation. This is what Paul is inviting us to. Like, yeah, it's really hard. It's a struggle. And some of us are, it, for some of us, at some point or another, it may get worse. But right now, at this moment, you have air in your lungs, you are alive, you are in a lot of situations, you are in a home with other people who love you, you, um, you have food in the refrigerator, you have um, people to check in on, you have people who are checking in on you, and those things matter, those, those things are, are valuable. And so I think what Paul is saying here is like, don't forget all that stuff. In the midst of the pain and the struggles and the fear, don't forget all, this, all the things that you do have. Don't forget that there are things in your life that is a gift. Even if right now the, the best thing you can come up with is, the sun is out and I'm alive, that's a start. So what, what would it look like to, to remind ourselves that for as long as we are alive, we are receiving some kind of gift? And again, this isn't me telling you that, this is me telling myself that. And if that was helpful for you, then I'm glad for that. So may you find joy wherever you can find it. May, may you find ways to celebrate like, in little, like even, even the littlest things, like you mowed the lawn in record time today. Take a minute to celebrate that. Are there things that you can express joy over that may seem trivial, but right now you'll take all the joy you can get? What does that look like? So, so may, you, may you set aside time to receive life as a gift. May you stay contacted with people, stay connected with people who, um, who remind you that it's good to be alive, that you're not alone. And may you, may you find ways to be oriented towards the needs of others. And may that awaken some amount of joy within you. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the gift of joy. We thank you for reminding us that our capacity for gratitude and joy and um, contentment are so much more than our current circumstances. May we become the kinds of people who find joy in helping other people. May we find joy in setting aside time to remind ourselves that all of life is a gift. May we orient ourselves towards the present moment. May we reach for whatever kinds of gratitude and contentment that we can find. And as always, may we leave this space with more grace and peace than we had when we first began. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.